Christina Lee is the founder of Mother Coders, a program that helps mothers ramp up to technical careers in the new economy. Tina, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you for having me. What inspired you to start Mother Coders? Pain and suffering, my own. Um, So I have always uh, had a career uh, in technology, and I started out as a management consultant, hoping to implement these large enterprise solutions. I've done. I've been a, a technical recruiter. Um, I have a master's degree in learning, education, and design. So I've always done tech-related stuff. Um, but I never uh, was the one who built things, although I was trained to do some of it. Um, but as you know, if you don't use it every day, you lose it. So after the birth of my first child, I started going to more workshops and um, classes to skill up, but not frequent enough to really be fluent in any language in particular. And that became even harder after the birth of my second child. And I remember being on maternity leave and trying to build a website to get up to speed on things. And I just had a meltdown in the middle of the night and realized that, you know, I didn't run into a lot of parents, certainly not that many mothers, and knew that um, there was a need to create a space where mothers felt welcome because our challenges um, are very, very different than people who are learning who don't have uh, these types of caregiving responsibilities. And I knew that we had to design a program that kind of met moms where they were at. So we designed Mother Coders to specifically address several issues. One, um, moms often would run up to me and ask me, what should I learn, Ruby or Python, without any context, right? And you'll ask them, well, why do you want to learn that? And they're like, I don't know, somebody told me. So I knew that just having uh, contextual knowledge about how they themselves uh, fit into the tech landscape was really important. Giving them, giving them a point of entry was really important. So um, we designed this program as a tech orientation program because we wanted to help um, our students find their way towards a technical career path that made sense for them, connecting their passions, their business experience, their education, all of that, right? So that was number one. The second thing that we did was um, we tried doing it on a Saturday because um, for working moms, that was the only way they can participate. And for uh, stay-at-home moms that may have taken off some time to, and, and paused their careers to have kids, um, if they had partners that worked during the week, they can take over childcare um, on Saturdays. So that was another thing that we did. And then for those who had babies um, under three years old, we actually ran our program out of a co-working space that had a childcare facility on site. So um, we rented out their uh, childcare facility, which was empty on Saturdays. And the moms um, who needed to nurse or wanted to be close to their babies um, were able to do that. So we uh, built it, those into the DNA of our organization. And we brought in women from the field, a lot of the moms, to come and expose our students to careers in web design and web development, but also many other career paths that someone who's just entering may not be um, aware of, right? So technical roles um, like in project management, product management, and even like a lot of 
tech adjacent roles, you know? So we've had entrepreneurs come in, we've had product managers and product marketing people come in and even marketing people, they're using very sophisticated tools now. So um, out of that, um, we now have run two cohorts and we recently became a finalist in the uh, Google Impact Challenge grant, their Bay Area version, to scale our programs. And we're hoping to you know, build on this model and uh, take this nationwide. Mother Coders is a nonprofit that helps moms ramp up to these technical careers in what you call the new economy. What, yes. what do you mean by the new economy? Well, what I mean by that is, you know, we are transitioning from an industrial economy to an information digital-based economy, right? And with that comes a set of skills that everyone who needs to get a job needs to know, right? So just your basic stuff would just be the productivity tools and the social media tools. But beyond that, right, if you're, since technology is going to be a component of every business, um, to really understand how it works, to have the digital literacy to talk through, you know, how to build something and how that product lifecycle um, looks and how people come together, designers, project managers, um, salespeople to kind of design a product that people actually want um, requires a, a knowledge and a skill set that's not easily attainable right now if you were just going to go out. And find it. You probably learn it on the job, or you majored or minored in some degree in college that exposed you to it. Right, and and so when people try to learn coding or learn these other technical skills using mm-hmm. just online courses, it seems like there's often a high attrition rate, and I think that a lot of that is due to a need for support and community because um, when you're just doing it by yourself, you know, it's sort of like what, what happened with you where you're, you're working in the middle of the night and you just get frustrated and kind of don't have anybody to turn to. Um, so when people are learning to code, how important is having a community or maybe even an in-person uh, interaction group? So important. <laughs> so I, because I have a master's degree in education, I spend a lot of time thinking about learning and how people learn. And learning is a very social thing. If you think about humans in general, right, we learn because we need to do something. So I always show uh, our students the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We're trying to solve problems. And uh, right now we're in a period of human history when um, technology has a very prominent role in how we are solving problems. So I always try to get back to basics, like why are we doing these things anyway? Well, it's to solve these problems, right? Start there. And then how um, your community looks and the context in which your life unfolds really drives um, why you need to use certain types of technology and how you do it. So all that is to say that learning is social. And then when you take away that component, it's not fun. It's not relevant. It feels very disconnected from your actual life, right? And to use kind of a, I mean, it's learning to code is learning a language, right? Let's say I sat in my living room by myself in the middle of the night trying to learn French, not having any French friends, not having gone to France, not understanding any of, you know, French culture or even tasted French food, any of that, right? Then it feels very foreign. Like I could speak perfect French, but without all of that other context, that cultural stuff that holds up French as a culture, as a language, it just 
isn't that fun or relevant anymore. So same thing with coding. You need to have a crew to roll with. You need to have a reason for why you're doing it. You know, otherwise you're not going to push through. Sure. What is the experience like for a woman who is just starting at Mother Coders? She she signs up, comes to the first meeting. What what does she encounter? So let me just say that um, we don't accept everyone who who applies, um, and the reason we do that is because um, we're a fairly new and small nonprofit. The classes that we run are small, um, and so we try to take. Um, students who are very, very motivated and tend to be less structured. And what, what I mean by that is they're down for whatever, right? Because we're changing things up. We're, we're doing things in an unconventional way. And I want to make sure we have um, students that are comfortable in that learning environment. So when they come, um, you know, they tend to be a bunch that are early adopters, if you will, right? And they're very excited and they're very hopeful, Um, So they come every Saturday for eight weeks Um, at 930. They drop off their kid if they um, are have their kids in in the child care program. They're in their seats by 10. And then we learn from 10 to about 315. And then they're out the door by 330. So in terms of schedule, that's what they can expect. In terms of kind of the mood, um, it's hard to find other nerds in general right on the playground. <laughs> and if you're a mom, your um, leisure time is spent caretaking. And the only time when it's social is if you're outside. So most of the time, you know, a lot of interactions happen, you know, in social spaces, and it's hard to find other nerds, it's not going to this, this subject isn't going to come up like, hey, I've been learning code, what have you been doing, right? So it, it, when they see each other, they immediately feel like my people. Mm. Um, I found a group of people who understand um, how hard it is to manage all of uh, the responsibilities that come with being um, a mother and um, a caregiver, and then also a student trying to on ramp to a career in technology. So automatically, they have that affinity with each other. Um, And then what we do is we try to provide a very supportive environment um, by bringing in other female, um, other women technologists from the field, uh, a lot of the mothers, so that they can become who they see, right? And lastly, um, because we are very um, engaged with the wider community, um, I think the moms get the sense, even after they leave, that I'm not alone, that there's a bigger group here that I could plug into, and that um, they themselves are trailblazing for the other students that are coming after them. Hmm. So there's a very strong sense of community and purpose and giving back. Yeah, you know, I love the uh, the idea of of selecting for the students who can really go with the flow and be able to adapt um, to a changing set of circumstances, especially because that's that's kind of like the business atmosphere. It's the way that the business atmosphere, I think, is, is moving towards. So that's the business atmosphere you want to prepare people for. You don't want to prepare people for an atmosphere where it's like, okay, you know, you've got a rubric for how this class is going to go. Uh, here's here's everything that you're going to learn. Uh, if you want to read ahead in the textbook, you can read ahead. Like that way of learning is kind of 
dated. Um, and I, I really like the approach of um, we're going to take the people who are agile, bring them in, and um, and you know te- teach them that way. Um, and you know one of the so one of the questions I have is like um, there so there was I watched this this video that I'll put in the show notes um, about mother coders and in it one of the women was talking about how she was trying to learn to code on her own and you know she mentioned like you know I can't I can't just um, you know plot my kid in front of the television and go off to code you know my my full-time job is to be a mom and um, and that takes a lot of time um, so my question is like I imagine these women need to find time to code on their own. Like they can't just come to the class for five hours a week and then show up the next week and not have it, not having done anything. So, how do you do structure that? Do you do you tell the women that you're going to need to allocate some number of hours per week to practicing, or how, how do you how do you encourage that? So, a couple of things. Um... One, we've been taking students who already tried on their own. So they kind of know if they like it or hate it, right? Mm. (laughs) So they already have a taste of it. Um, Then we um, partnered with an online uh, learning platform. It's called Skill Crush. It's a women-founded company uh, based out of uh, New York. And I really love their learning model because it aligns well with my learning philosophy in that it has to be... uh, community-based and social. So what they do is they take complete noobs, right? They, I mean, even the way their UI is laid out, it's like very accessible to new learners and they launch um, class sessions in batches so that you have a group, a cohort that's learning with you. And because we're only in class once a week, what the moms have access to a wider community um, when they're not in class, if they have problems. So that class is structured with a curriculum and, uh, you know, a timeline. So they know what's coming up. And then our class also has a curriculum and a timeline. So people know what's coming up in terms of subject matter and who's going to be speaking, what they're going to be learning and all of that. So it's not totally like loosey goosey. No, no, no. (laughs) I want people to know what they're getting into, right? So all of that is online. And if you need the link, I can send that to you too. Though, you know, the, the curriculum was always evolving because we try to hit big trends. And sometimes I, you know, there's so many, sometimes I end up getting speakers for one thing and not another, or we end up reframing something. Um, but the woman that you um, referenced in the video, great story, Jeff, I'm really glad you brought her up. So Sarah Doxy, really smart. And she moved out here to the Bay Area with her husband. He's also a web developer. And um, she ended up working at a startup but only in business operations, right? So she saw the tech industry from an ops perspective, but not from a maker perspective, right? But all the while, because her husband was a web developer, she was also dabbling on the side too and knew that she wanted to do it and was building stuff on her own, but building alone and building out of context. She had that experience where she went to a meetup and she was trying to go you know, regularly um, but of course, she wasn't able to go regularly or as regular as other people were going because she had Madeline, who was, I think, one and a half or two at the time. And this woman in her group, now this is a woman 
who didn't have a child. So she didn't understand the challenges that Sarah was up against. And, you know, they got into some discussion around, you know, where Sarah was in her learning path. And the woman said to Sarah, you have to stop making excuses. And how painful it was for Sarah to hear that, right? Because she's doing the best she can. She's holding down a full-time job. She's a partner in a relationship where her husband also has a very demanding full-time job. And she's trying to raise a toddler, a two-year-old, right? To hear that, it's just straight to the gut. And when she came to Mother Coder, it, it, it was a completely different experience because she didn't even have to say anything about that. We all knew. We knew exactly what she was dealing with. And what we did was we provided the context for her. We provided the content that she needed to know to move forward. And we introduced her to a bunch of women that were already doing tech, right? And here's how it all came together. After each student is required to build a site, some website that showcases their new skills. So Sarah decided to revamp her own portfolio site. Um, she ended up putting her resume on, I think, Career Builder, some, some resume, um, you know, career site. And a recruiter saw it and then ended up her plugging, plugging her into um, the, the team at Sephora. So now she works as a contractor uh, at Sephora. And fast forward one year, she's now no longer a junior developer, but a full-fledged web developer. She felt so comfortable about her economic um, situation that she actually bought a home. And now that she's moving up and positions are opening up under her, she's reaching back and trying to get other grads into those positions. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And one of the reasons why she was so successful in landing that first gig was because Sephora is an e-commerce company. One of my, one of the mentors that came to speak works at, was a, a manager of the web team at The Gap. So they already had a relationship. Um, and the manager who came from The Gap who came, who came to speak ended up walking her through, preparing her for the interview and just through every question that any manager at an e-commerce company would want to ask her. Um, and she felt, Sarah felt so supported when she got out of the interview, she texted me right away and said, I know I got that job. <sighs> that's awesome. I mean, that's a really good success story. And, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's funny cause it kind of mirrors, um, the, you know, the, uh, the aspect of, uh, Sarah going to work at a, at a company and then eventually making it to a senior position and then completing the arc by, you know, going, coming back to mother coders and kind of looking for new talent that echoes the story that we heard um recently we did a show with something called turing school which is like a coding boot camp in colorado mm -hmm. and um it's very similar you know we there turing school has graduates the the new grads go and work at a company and eventually they make it up to a senior position and then you know actually not too long because you can advance very quickly um if you're if you're good uh, and then, you know, they, they reach back into the program often, which is oftentimes an awesome resource because um, people in these new type of learning situations, whether it's a coding boot camp or an online school or something like mother coders, they often get undervalued because they're, they're 
you know they don't they don't fit the the classic recipe of a successful programmer but the classic recipe is not the only way to to create a uh, a talented programmer i think many of many of the best programmers Right, it's not best. It's such a weird thing to say. That's like best artist. Um, you know, it's like, <laughs> they, uh, you know, they they come they come from uh, ja- you know, they have very jagged resumes sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, right now the prevailing, I think, uh, qualification that uh, new hires need to have is a CS degree when. Most of the practitioners of this craft did not have a CS degree going in, right? Yeah. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting how you know the the attitudes have changed and how that's become a barrier to lots of people who, like you said, didn't go through a traditional path where they went to college and then got a degree in computer science. Yeah. So you know, I've spoken to many guests from all walks of life and and many people admit that they have this form of imposter syndrome and i think this is like something that's like particularly important to think about in education um and i actually think this is the probably what you know when when that you know you mentioned that person said to sarah uh you know you're stop making excuses stop making excuses (laughs) you know not to defend such an appalling comment like such an like an unthinking comment but probably what that person was thinking was like sarah has imposter syndrome she's not letting herself succeed uh or it could have been something else but you know i see this in a lot of people i know where people are having some sort of career crisis um and oftentimes it's like the only like the, the I see a, a lot of people where the the blocker in their career crisis is imposter syndrome. They can't admit to themselves that they are good enough to do what they need to do. Um, so I'm curious, like how much of that you see at mother coders and and how you address it. Well, I mean, what you're talking about that that phenomenon of feeling like you don't belong is real, and I think mostly it's real because you get accused of being an imposter, right? So my friend Lee Honeywell, and we're, we were just talking about this. I mean, as women and as a me in particular, as a person of color, you're always accused of not being qualified anyway. Oh, you're here because of affirmative action. <laughs> oh, you're here because they needed a woman on the team. Like you Coming in the door, you're accused of being like you don't belong, right? So yeah, having imposter syndrome is just... Uh, it's just a response to that, right? Wait, well, maybe, well, maybe I don't belong, right? So suddenly you have that thought in your head and you're right. No one else here looks like me. So maybe, right? So you start going on this head trip about, you know, whether or not you belong. So yes, it's a problem and it's a complex one. Um, and it's one that we tried to deal with in our last um, session. So what we did was there were actual um, exercises that you could do to p- put people in a frame of mind that helps them overcome it or alleviate the feeling a little bit. So we did one of those exercises, which is to affirm um, yourself and why you're here and why you're doing what you're doing. And hmm. studies have proven that, you know, this is an, 
a very effective tool in leveling um, the playing field just a little bit. And they've even done these tests with uh, students of color in very, very um, underserved schools where they, you know, had them like say, like, you know, what are you proud of? Um, What do you like about yourself? And that in and of itself kind of shores up the confidence just a little bit. So we'll see if it, you know, ends up having a huge impact. And I don't even know if we can attribute it to that one little thing, but we do do something um, to address that. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that sounds like a, like a really good approach. I, in my experience, it's unfortunately, it's like the only way you get there is a lot of times by, I don't know, building up a certain amount of, of, um, you know, like objective results. It's like after you've worked for a couple of years as a software engineer, it's like a little more easy to point to yourself as saying I'm a software engineer, but I don't know, even then people still have imposter syndrome. So whatever it's a, yeah, even then women still get called out, right? Yeah, for not being, absolutely. Um, you know, whatever enough being not enough. Sure. Like, let me see your GitHub account. What have you right. built? What have you, you know, so it's always like that. It's always going to be like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, but the, from the women that you've worked with, that you've seen at, at Mother Coders where they've, uh, you know, Sarah, for example, that success story that you referred to, d- does it, d- does she, did has she gone undergone any sort of like, uh, you know, t- psychological transformation since kind of breaking through that, that sense of imposter syndrome and really succeeding? I don't know. You would have to ask her. Okay. I mean, so, I mean, I, you know, it's hard for me to say, right? I'm totally biased. Of course, I'm like, yeah, she's awesome. But I will, I will say this. So after um, she finished, she was part of our pilot class. I actually invited her uh, to join our board. So I do have regular interaction with her. Um, and, you know, she's now got her legs, right? She is in the industry. She's working as a web developer. She's going into her second holiday season, right? Um, so the fact that she's thriving and is reaching back to help others and the fact that she is on our board, I think speaks to her belief in what we're doing and then also her confidence in her own abilities to pursue a career path that, you know, two years ago was not accessible to her and then also serve on a board of an organization that's trying to help other women do the same thing. Let's talk more about the job market. Um, you know, in that video that uh, that I mentioned about Mother Coders, you talk about the, the giant increase in tech jobs that are going to be um, appearing over the next several years, as well as like the the fact that a large proportion of them will not be filled. Why do mothers represent an ideal group to help bridge this gap between the new jobs that are going to be created and the the fact that most of these roles will go unfilled? Great question. So it's not mothers per se, right? Let me back up a little bit. of women in the U.S. eventually become mothers. That's a sizable population, right? And if you think about the rate of educational attainment by women at the college level, also at the um, master's degree level, right? It's surpassing that of men, right? 
So think about this population that's coming up and then the population that we have already. A lot of them are women who with college degrees, with work experience, but because our society doesn't support caregiving and that caregiving is specifically usually provided by women, um, a lot of women get sidelined, right? So let me put that into like more concrete terms for you. And what I mean by sidelining is this. Um, I live in San Francisco, but I think this is true for other parts of the country too. The cost of childcare often exceeds your take-home pay as a woman. So you think about the pay gap. You think about how the jobs that pay the best are technical, right? And women are looking at this equation going, okay, so if I work full time, I'll make this much money. Um, and then I have to pay for childcare. And then I have to pay for lunch and then pay for uh, the cost of going to work, right? And then taxes, because <laughs> we hit double income households more. And they're like, so I'm doing all of this for $300 a month or something like that, right? Why? So they end up pausing their careers and focusing on their kids. Um, and then when they want to re-enter, it becomes even more difficult because now the employer is looking at what you've been doing for the past five years, even though what they've been doing is raising a child and it's the hardest thing ever, right? So that's one scenario. Another scenario is, okay, I'm going to work full time because it's my career is important to me. I love my job. Um, but because I don't have the extra time to network, to skill up, um, now my skills are becoming more and more obsolete and I'm not touching tech that would enable me to go on a different career track. So over time, um, your wages just gets next stagnant and you're the first in line when there's a layoff, right? First to go. So I think focusing on these mothers that have these challenges, even though they have bring all this experience and education with them is not the best use of our resources as a society. We've invested in women. We've invested in, you know, uh, education and there's so much potential sitting around um, that's not being tapped into. I feel like with tech moving to a point where it's a part of every business, having the understanding of business verticals is almost more important in product development than actually knowing how to build it, right? Knowing how to build it is great. And we have people to do that and they get paid very well. But to build things that people want, that people love, that people need, right? You actually need... Um, an empathy set that's currently missing from the product development cycle. I don't know how, if you've sat around, you know, engineering teams and, and maybe talk through like new product features or whatever. <laughs> I doubt there are that many parents, let alone mothers at the table. I've certainly worked with my mom to try to figure out iTunes or to, to teach her how to, you know, deal with something in a web browser and, uh, and the way that she interprets things is often different than the way that it's uh, it's constructed. And her interpretation of it is often, uh, it's not unintuitive. You know, she's just got a different way of looking at things. And whenever I have those interactions, I try not to be like, oh, this is just because she's older than me. She's a different generation. She doesn't think about things the right way. I'm, I always try to think like, what does this say about like how this UI is being designed? And it's not even that's more than that, right, Jeff? Because if you think about 
all the women that are in engineering and in tech in general right now, right? Women that companies have worked very, very hard to recruit. 81% of them will become moms. They will become mothers and they're going to be walking out the door. Right. So, you know, the talent that talent pool that exists is cross generational, right? And it's cross ethnic lines, geography, everything. And, you know, one of the things I say is if you want to solve this diversity inclusion problem, if you just hit up the mom group, oh my gosh, you're going to get so much other stuff that you're looking at, right? The ethnic diversity, geographic diversity, diversity experience, diversity in religion, everything, everything, right? Because 81% of women become mothers. Right. Okay. So let's talk about this, the gender inequality issue um, a little more broadly. We did a week of shows about women in tech, and we tried to understand the root of the gender inequality issues in the tech world. And and it was it was nuanced. Like um, a lot of, I mean, some of it was was really obvious, um, but other aspects of it was really nuanced. When I first uh, approached it, you know, I kind of encountered this this thing where like the there were women who who were willing to, to talk about. I mean, the, many of the women who would have made for great people to discuss the women in tech issue with they they wanted to they wanted to discuss their technological acumen first and foremost because they wanted to be seen as as icons of women in tech rather than icons of women talking about women in tech. Um, so it's this subtle difference. It made it it made it. Um, you know, and, and, and interesting, like, how do you approach that? And and the answer was, you know, generally to talk to them firstly about their technological um, skills and their technological advances, and then maybe come to the table and, and dis- discuss the uh, the women in tech issue. But that that was, I felt like that was sort of, um, I don't know, that was that was revealing about about the way that this conversation should proceed. Whereas, um, I think, you know, oftentimes it just proceeds you know firstly talking about hey okay so you're you're a woman i'm i'm interviewing you about about this let's let's talk about the fact that you're a woman basically first and foremost um and i say all that just because uh you know if i, f- I felt like uh maybe some of the issues in 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 tech are not necessarily related to malicious intent but they're it's like ignorance it's problems of ignorance it's problems of um uh, communication that really compound into into more more um, institutional problems. I mean, there's obviously there's blatant stuff, but there's also like all this like web of subtlety that compounds. Um, absolutely, so, you're so, absolutely right. Okay. It, I mean, it, it it mirrors a wider cultural perspective about women and gender, right? And you know, one of my favorite movies is The Matrix, like. Everyone lives within culture. Like you don't get away with not being in it, right? We were, you know, I was born here. I, I'm from, you know, San Francisco, which is like another flavor of it. I don't get to separate myself. I'm in the matrix, right? (laughs) So if you're being enculturated in a society that's racist and sexist, um, you're going to hold a lot of those uh, views yourself. Oftentimes like that bias, you don't, you're not even conscious of it. Right. So I think, you know, what's happening uh, as you said, is just, you know, what people, some people are unconscious about it. They're unaware. And then there's also, 
you know, just with tech um, being at the forefront of this economic shift that we're growing, like it's just amplified because everyone's watching it. It's going to define our future. It's leading the way in showing other industries what work will look like um, and what roles different people will play in it, right? So because of that, there's like heightened scrutiny, there's heightened sensitivity, uh, and very, you know, understandably so. So what you're saying that is nuanced and complicated is right because it's culture (laughs) and it takes a million things to hold up culture and it's going to take a million things to change it. Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel, like a a light of equality? (sighs) No. (laughs) (laughs) I have too many data points. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, but I'll tell you this, right? Um, I have two daughters. If I could make a difference in my way, everyone has their own way, um, to make it a little easier for them to live in a world that's fairer, um, so that they could live to their full potential and be who they're meant to be, then what I'm doing is worthwhile. Even though I don't believe that in my lifetime, even in their lifetime, we would reach a point where we'll have um, gender equality. How much of this springs from the the nature of parental roles? And we can, I mean, I don't know if we want to go to the level of like, are these parental roles that we have, the, the mother and the dad, uh, you know, are these... Um, are these evolutionary? Are they societally developed or culturally developed? Um, but one way or another, we have these the, the, the different roles of uh, that a mother and a father play in typical um, typical upbringings. How, how how much are these related to the the inclusivity and the misunderstandings that propagate to the workplace? Oh my gosh, that's a big question. That's like a dissertation <laughs> that level that's, piece. That's not like a... So let me let me let me try to maybe like <laughs> I can scope ask you about down, like Ruby on right? Rails or web frameworks yeah, yeah. or no, something. No, no, let me scope it down to this, right? I it's individual um sexism and racism and whatever ism, right? Those things, yes, they're blatant cases, but I think for the most part, like people are not like that, right? But there are these larger institutional forces, these systems that have been built that perpetuate it, right? And you see it in mass incarceration. You see it in the way we set up the toy aisles at toy stores, right? You see it in the way uh, we pay men and women differently for doing the same job, right? You see it in the way that we um, allocate resources to college sports, right? Every way, right? So so all these institutional things all roll up to um, inequities that harm women and people of color and disabled, the disabled and any, you know, marginalized uh, group, right? So uh, yes, it's parents, but I know while I play a very powerful role in shaping um, who my daughters become, um, once they go out into the world, you know, I can't fight that. 
right? Uh, my daughter, once she got to preschool, she learned about princesses. We never talked about it. And then she came home and like talked about princesses and I just shut that down, right? Not because I think it, princesses are inherently bad. Uh, I think as a three-year-old, she cannot discern for herself what the implications are and why the pros and cons of that, right? So I just like, let's just not talk about it. And she, oh, mommy doesn't respond to that. So I'm not going to talk about that anymore, right? Yeah. But I mean, now it's princesses. At some point, it's going to be something else, right? So things are in the air, yeah, I can't I can't stop any of that from affecting her. All I could do is just, you know, kind of shape her and inoc inoculate her against some things and then kind of like steer her towards other things. Right. And then have like real talk with her about the scary, scary stuff. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a saying where when you educate a woman, you educate the entire family um, and I know Bill Gates talks about this when he's like talking about going to Africa and um, you know, sp spreading information about vaccines or whatever. Um, but I, I think it's just true more generally. Have you noticed this in the moms that you educate? Like, ha has their ability to educate their children and their husband in tech skills has that increased? Not only with their kids, I would say um, with their communities. And I can give you a couple examples. Um, when you have a mom who's into this stuff, right? I mean, I, I talk to a lot of people. So the people who are in tech, there's always one or two people that inspire them, expose them to stuff, right? So there was al always a, a person who, who kind of sparked an interest uh, in, in what they're doing. So I think these moms are going back and doing that for their kids. But they're also doing things like helping their church build their website helping their friend who wants to start a new business build a website. Um, they're doing things like um, volunteering at local meetups, coming back to volunteer at Mother Coder's classes. One woman, while pregnant, came back and, do, and did that. That was like one of the best photos I had of this really, really pregnant woman with a laptop on her hip, like trying to teach it someone else. You know, I love that visual, right? Because that's just how it is. And then there's... Um, uh, you know, others who are giving back um, by mentoring other kids, you know, they're, they're just doing a whole bunch of stuff. So yes, um, it's absolutely um, inspiring to see the ripple effect of how when you um, empower, you know, someone in the family, the woman, um, how that kind of rolls out to the rest of her community. And so I think there's a stat for that too. Like for every dollar you invest in women, you get like over a dollar back in our. Oh world. yeah. 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 Also, I mean, on that note, I think like, uh, this is kind of unrelated. But I think I remember reading that like the, the women founders in Y Combinator companies do like statistically like ex, ex really excel to a much <laughs> greater degree than their male counterparts i think i've heard this from like other venture capital yeah i think i saw that too. i saw too. that report yeah even the fortune 500s that have um women in leadership right on their boards tend to have um higher returns yeah it's pretty interesting mm -hmm. um what's the future of mother coders well i get requests regularly from moms all over the country and beyond actually 
to see when we're coming to their city, right? And here I am, this little, you know, nonprofit in San Francisco, like trying to get started. And, you know, it's, it's been um, something that we just couldn't handle, right? A request that we haven't even figured out how to handle so far. But now I'm honing in on, I think, a solution that might work. So I am currently uh, working with some attorneys to develop a licensing model where any group that wants to start a mother coders chapter in their community can do that. I don't know how far away we are from launching it, but I think the licensing franchise model makes the most sense because every community will have different resources. Every community will have moms with different needs and every community will have different businesses that need a different set of technical skills, right? So I want to be able to um, have a model where um, communities can come and organize um, around those needs so that the mothers that are going to be doing the program will have the access to mentorship and jobs that they need to really, really succeed. I think um, that the model is going to work really, really well. Thank you. Well, we're going to test it first. That, that's how I'm like a real MVP kind of person. I'm like, I'm sure. not building out anything until we know that the MVP is working, right? Which is how, why we started with a pilot and built on it. So um, hopefully we can start piloting something maybe in let's say, 2016 to the by, by 2017, we can get something going. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So for listeners out there who may or may not be moms, but want to help you, or want to get involved somehow, um, how can they how can they contribute to mother coders? Oh, my gosh, so many ways we need everything. Uh, first and foremost, we need money right? Um, we just got the grant from Google, which means for the first time since I started this two years ago, I'm finally going to get paid. My husband is so happy. He doesn't hold us up all by himself anymore. Um, but we don't have any other type of kind of ongoing institutional funding to keep us going. So for the next six months, I'm going to be working really hard to fundraise so that we could hire someone to help uh, me do the work. Um, so we're always, always in need of um, funds. Um, if that's not something or that's you want to do other things in addition to that, we have other opportunities too. So um, if you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, we're always looking for corporate sponsors who can host events for us, who can send mentors and volunteers our way who can sponsor, you know, food and drink at the events, and then also sponsor scholarships. So that's another way. Um, we are always, always looking for volunteers who might want to help us with, you know, just kind of general um, organizational stuff like, oh, you're a designer and you want to like contribute by helping us with, you know, designing uh, or collateral or your, um, uh, social media content person. And you want to help us devise a content strategy and help us push out, you know, our social media, uh, content that's always needed too. And, you know, just whatever, right. I'm, I'm open 
and really, really looking for um, people who will join this movement and help me grow this uh, together. That's awesome. Um, well, Tina Lee, thanks for coming into Software Engineering Daily. It's been great talking to you about Mother Coders. It's a inspiring platform, um, and uh, I hope I can hope I can contribute to uh, to growing it with this podcast episode. Oh, one more thing that you could do. Yeah, please. If you if anyone is in a position to hire our grads, and you're in the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, would love to talk about apprenticeships, internships, and straight up jobs. Got it. Got it. All right. Well, I will put a. Uh, I will put links to your social media and website and ways that they can contact you in the show notes. So anyone listening, you know, reach out. Thank, thank you, Jeff, so much for having me on. Absolutely. About this. Thank you. 